Thank you for listening to this free audiobook created by Project Gutenberg and Microsoft AI. To learn more about the project or give feedback on the quality of a recording, please visit aka.ms/audiobook. Halima and the Scorpions by Robert Hickens. Frederick A. Stokes Company Publishers Copyright, 1905. In traveling about the world one collects a number of those trifles of all sorts, usually named curiosities, many of them worthless if it were not for the memories they recall. The other day I was clearing out a bureau before going abroad, and in one of the drawers I came across a hedgehog's foot, set in silver, and hung upon a tarnished silver chain. I picked it up in the Sahara, and here is its history. Muhammad L. A. Ben Ali Tijani, Marabou of Tamasine, is a great man in the Sahara Desert. His reputation for piety reaches as far as Tunis and Algiers, to the north of Africa, and to the uttermost parts of the southern desert, even to the land of the Tuaregs. He dwells in a sacred village of dried mud and brick, surrounded by a high wall, pierced with loopholes, and ornamented with gates made of palm wood, and covered with sheets of iron. In his mansion, above the entrance of which is written, El entre de Sidi laid, are clocks innumerable, musical boxes, tables, chairs, sofas, and even framed photographs. Negro servants bow before him, wives, brothers, children, and obsequious hangers-on of various nationalities, black, bronze, and café au lait color, offer him perpetual incense. Rich worshippers of the prophet and the prophet's priests send him presents from afar, camels laden with barley, donkeys staggering beneath sacks of grain, ostrich plumes, silver ornaments, perfumes, red-eyed doves, gazelles whose tiny hoofs are decorated with gold leaf or painted in bright colors. The tributes laid before the tomb of Chaik Sidi el-Hajj Ali ben Sidi el-Hajj are, doubtless, his perquisites as guardian of the saint. He dresses in silks of the tints of the autumn leaf, and carries in his mighty hand a staff hung with apple-green ribbons. And his smile is as the smile of the rising sun in an oleograph. This personage one day blessed the hedgehog's foot I at present possess, and endowed it solemnly with miraculous curative properties. It would cure, he declared, all the physical ills that can beset a woman. Then he gave it into the hands of a great aga, who was about to take a wife, accepted a tribute of dates, a grandfather's clock from Paris, and a grinding organ of Barbary as a small acknowledgement of his generosity, and probably thought very little more about the matter. Now, in the course of time, it happened that the hedgehog's foot came into the possession of a dancing girl of Tugwort, called Halima. How Halima got hold of it I cannot say, nor does anyone in Tugwort exactly know, so far as I am aware. But, alas, even Agas are sometimes human, and play pitch and toss with magical things. As grand dukes who go to disport themselves in Paris sometimes hide them incognito to the Café de la Sorciere. So do Agas flit occasionally to Tugwort, and appear upon the high benches of the great dancing house of the Old Nails in the outskirts of the city. And Halima was young and beautiful. Her eyes were large, and she wore a golden crown ornamented with very tall feathers. And she danced the dance of the hands, and the dance of the fainting fit with great perfection. And the wives of Agas have to put up with a good deal. However it was, one evening Halima danced with the hedgehog's foot that had been blessed dangling from her jeweled girdle. And there was a great scandal in the city. For in the four quarters of Tugwort, the quarter of the Jews, of the foreigners, 
of the free Negroes, and of the citizens proper. It was known that the hedgehog's foot had been blessed and endowed with magical powers by the mighty marabou of Tamasine. Halima herself affirmed it, standing at the front door of her terrace dwelling in the court, while the other dancers gathered round, looking like a troop of macas in their feathers and their finery. With a brazen pride she boasted that she possessed something worth more than uncut rubies, carpets from Baghdad, and silken petticoats sewn with sequins. And the owl nails could not gainsay her. Indeed, they turned their huge, coal-tinted eyes upon the relic with envy, and stretched their painted hands towards it as if to a god in prayer. But Halima would let no one touch it, and presently, taking from her bosom her immense door key, she retired to enshrine the foot in her box, studded with huge brass nails, such as stands by each dancer's bed. And the scandal was very great in the city that such a precious thing should be between the hands of an old nail, a girl of no repute come thither in a palanquin on camelback to earn her dowry, and who would depart into the sands of the south, laden with the gold wrung from the pockets of loose livers. Only Benabid smiled gently when he heard of the matter. Benabid belonged to the tribu de Blancs, and was the singer attached to the café of the smokers of the hashish. He it was who struck each evening a guitar made of goatskin backed by sand tortoise, and lifted up his voice in the song, Lelia. The assembled smokers breathed out under the black ceiling their deep refrain of Wurra Wurra, and Larby, in his zoe jacket and his tight, pleated skirt, threw back his small head, exposing his long brown throat, and danced like a tired phantom in a dream. Benabit smiled, showing two rows of lustrous teeth. Should Halima fall ill, the foot will not avail to cure her, he murmured. Ben Ali Tijani's blessing could never rest on an owl nail who, like a little viper of the sand, has stolen into the Aga's bosom and filled his veins with subtle poison. She deems she has a treasure, but let her beware, that which would protect a woman who wears the veil will do naught for a creature who shows her face to the stranger and dances by night for the zouaves and for the spahis who patrol the dunes. And he struck his long fingers upon the goatskin of his instrument, while Kuda, the boy who played upon the little glasses and shook the tambourine of reeds, slipped forth to tell in the city what Benabid had spoken. Halema was enraged when she heard of it, more especially as there were found many to believe Benabid's words. She stood before her room upon the terrace, where Zouaves were playing cards with the dancers in the sun, and she cursed him in a shrill voice, calling him son of a scorpion, and requesting that Allah would send great troubles upon his relations, even upon his aged grandmother that the miraculous reputation of her treasure should be thus scouted, and herself insulted, vexed her to the soul. Let the son of a camel with a swollen tongue dare to come to me and repeat what he has said, she cried. Let him come out from his lair in the cafe of the hashish smokers, and, as Allah is great, I will spit in his face. The reviler of women! The son of a scorpion! Curse be his! And then once more she desired evil to the grandmother of Benabid, and to all his family. And the Zouaves and the dancers laughed over their card games. Indeed, the other dancers were merry, and not ill-pleased with Benabid's words. For even in the Sahara the women do not care that one of them should be exalted above the rest. Now, in Tugort gossip is carried from house to house, as the sand grains are carried on the wind. Within an hour Benabid heard that his grandmother had been cursed, and himself called son of a scorpion, by Halima. Kuda, the boy, 
ran on naked feet to tell him in the cafe of the hashish smokers. When he heard he smiled. Tonight I will go to the dancing house and speak with Halima, he murmured. And then he plucked the guitar of goatskin that was ever in his hands, and sang softly of the joys of Ladham Pasha, half closing his eyes, and swaying his head from side to side. And Koda, the boy, ran back across the camel market to tell in the court of the dancers the words of Benabid. That night, when the nomads lit their brushwood fires in the market, when the Kabao bakers, in their striped turbans and their close-fitting jerseys of yellow and of red, ran to and fro bearing the trays of flat, new-made loaves, when the dwarfs beat on the ground with their staffs to summon the mob to watch their antics, and the storytellers put on their glasses, and sat them down at their boards between the candles. Benabid went forth secretly from the hashish cafe wrapped in his burnous. He sought out in the quarter of the freed negroes a certain man called Sadik, who dwelt alone. This Sadik was lean as a specter, and had a skin like parchment. He was a renowned plunger in desert wells, and could remain beneath the water, men said, for a space of four minutes. But he could also do another thing. He could eat scorpions and this he would do for a small sum of money. Only, during the fast of Ramadan, between the rising and the going down of the sun, so long as a white thread could be distinguished from a black, he would not eat even a scorpion, because the tasting of food by day in that time is forbidden by the prophet. When Benabid struck on his door, Sadak came forth, gibbering in his tangled beard, and half-naked. Oh, brother, said Benabid, here is money if thou canst find me three scorpions. One of them must be a black scorpion. Sadik shot out his filthy claw, and there was fire in his eyes. But Benabid's fingers closed round the money paper. First thou must find the scorpions, and then thou must carry them with thee to the court of the dancers, walking at my side. For, as all lives, I will not touch them. Afterwards thou shalt have the money. Sadik's soul drew the shutters across his eyes. Then he led the way by tortuous alleys to an old and ruined wall of his gag, in which there were as many holes as there are in a honeycomb. Here, as he knew, the scorpions loved to sleep. Thrusting his fingers here and there he presently drew forth three writhing reptiles. And one of them was black. He held them out, with a cry to Benabid. The money! The money! he shrieked. But Benabid shrank back, shuddering. Thou must bring them to the dancer's court. Hide them well in thy garments that none may see them. Then thou shalt have the money. Sadak hid the scorpions upon his shaven head beneath his turban, and they went by the dunes and the lonely ways to the cafe of the dancers. Already the pipers were playing, and many were assembled to see the women dance. But Benabid and Sadak pushed through the throng, and passed across the cafe to the inner court, which is open to the air and surrounded with earthen terraces on which, in tears, opened the rooms of the dancers, each with its own front door. This court is as a mighty rabbit warren, peopled with women instead of rabbits. Pale lights gleamed in many doorways, for the dancers were dressing and painting themselves for the dances of the body, of the hands, of the poignard, and of the handkerchief. Their shrill voices cried one to another, their heavy bracelets and necklets jingled and the monstrous shadows of their crowned and feathered heads leaped and wavered on the yellow patches of light that lay before their doors. Where is Halima? cried Benabid in a loud voice. Let Halima come forth and spit in my face. At the sound of his call many women ran to their doors, some half-dressed, 
some fully attired, like Jezebels of the great desert. It is Benabid, went up the cry of many voices. It is Benabid, who laughs to scorn the power of the hedgehog's foot. It is the son of the camel with the swollen tongue. Halima, Halima, the child of the scorpion calls thee. Kuda, the boy, who was ever about, ran barefoot from the court into the cafe to tell of the doings of Benabid, and in a moment the people crowded in, Zuavs and Spahis, Arabs and Negroes, nomads from the south, gypsies, jugglers, and Jews. There were, too, some from Tamasine, and these were of all the most intent. Where is Halima? went up the cry. Where is Halima? Who calls me? exclaimed the voice of a girl. And Halima came out of her door on the first terrace at the left, splendidly dressed for the dance in scarlet and gold, carrying two scarlet handkerchiefs in her hands, and with the hedgehog's foot dangling from her girdle of thin gold, studded with turquoises. Benabid stood below in the court with Sadik by his side. The crowd pressed about him from behind. Thou hast called me the son of a scorpion, Halima, he said in a loud voice. Is it not true? It is true, she answered, with a venomous smile of hatred. And thou hast said that the hedgehog's foot, blessed by the great marabou of Tamasine, would avail not against the deadly sickness of a dancing girl. Is it not true? It is true, answered Benabid. Thou art a liar, cried Halima. And so art thou said Benabid slowly. A deep murmur rose from the crowd, which pressed more closely beneath the terrace, staring up at the scarlet figure upon it. If I am a liar thou canst not prove it, cried Halima furiously. I spit upon thee! I spit upon thee! And she bent down her feathered head from the terrace and spat passionately in his face. Benabid only laughed aloud. I can prove that I have spoken the truth, he said. But if I am indeed the son of a scorpion, as thou sayest, let my brother speak for me. Let my brothers declare to all the Sahara that the truth is in my mouth. Sadak, remove thy turban. The plunger of the wells, with a frantic gesture, lifted his turban and discovered the three scorpions writhing upon his shaven head. Another, and longer, murmur went up from the crowd. But some shrank back and trembled, for the desert Arabs are much afraid of scorpions which caused many deaths in the Sahara. What is this? cried Halima. How can the scorpions speak for thee? They shall speak well, said Benabid. Their voices cannot lie. Sleep tonight in thy room with these my brothers. Irina and Borea, the golden date and the lotus flower, shall watch beside thee. Guard in thy hand or in thy breast the hedgehog's foot that thou sayest can preserve from every ill. If, in the evening of tomorrow, Thou dancest before the soldiers, I will give thee fifty golden coins. But if thou dancest not, the city shall know whether Benabid is a truth-teller, and whether the blessings of the great Marabou can rest upon such a woman as thou art. If thou refusest, thou art afraid, and thy fear proveth that thou hast no faith in the magic treasure that dangles at thy girdle. There was a moment of deep silence. Then, from the crowd burst forth the cry of many voices. Put it to the proof. Benabid speaks well. Put it to the proof, and may Allah judge between them. Beneath the caked pigments on her face Halima had gone pale. I will not, she began. But the cries rose up again, and with them the shrill, twittering laughter of her envious rivals. She has no faith in the marabou, 
squawked one, who had a nose like an eagle's beak. She is a liar, piped another, shaking out her silken petticoats as a bird shakes out its plumes. And then the twitter of fierce laughter rose, shriek on shriek, and was echoed more deeply by the crowd of watching men. Give me the scorpions, cried Halima passionately. I am not afraid. Her desert blood was up. Her fatalism, even in the women of the Sahara at Lurks, was awake. In that moment she was ready to die, to silence the bitter laughter of her rivals. It sank away as Sadik grasped the scorpions in his filthy claw, and leaped, gibbering in his beard, upon the terrace. Wait, cried Halima, as he came upon her, holding forth his handful of writhing poison. Her bosom heaved. Her lustrous eyes, heavy with coal, shone like those of a beast at bay. Sadik stood still, with his naked arm outstretched. How shall I know that the son of a scorpion will pay me the fifty golden coins? He is poor, though he speaks bravely. He is but a singer in the cafe of the smokers of the hashish, and cannot buy even a new garment for the close of the feast of Ramadan. How, then, shall I know that the gold will hang from my breasts when tomorrow, at the falling of the sun, I dance before the men of Tug? Benabid put his hand beneath his burnous, and brought forth a bag tied at the mouth with cord. They are here, he said. The Jews. He has been to the Jews, cried the desert men. Bring a lamp, said Benabid. And while Irina and Borea, the golden date and the lotus flower, held the lights, and the desert men crowded about him with the eyes of wolves that are near to starving, he counted forth the money on the terrace at Halima's feet. And she gazed down at the glittering pieces as one that gazes upon a black fate. And now set my brothers upon the maiden, Benabid said to Sadik, gathering up the money, and casting it again into the bag, which he tied once more with the cord. Halima did not move, but she looked upon the scorpion that was black, and her red lips trembled. Then she closed her hand upon the hedgehog's foot that hung from her golden girdle, and shut her eyes beneath her ebon eyebrows. Set my brothers upon her, said Benabid. The plunger of the wells sprang upon Halima opened her scarlet bodice roughly, plunged his claw into her swelling bosom, and withdrew it, empty. Kiss her close, my brothers, whispered Benabid. A long murmur, like the growl of the tide upon a shingly beach, arose once more from the crowd. Halima turned about, and went slowly in at her lighted doorway, followed by Irina and Borea. The heavy door of palm was shut behind them. The light was hidden. There was a great silence. It was broken by Sadik's voice screaming in his beard to Benabid. My money! Give me my money! He snatched it with a howl, and went capering forth into the darkness. When the next night fell upon the desert there was a great crowd assembled in the cafe of the dancers. The pipers blew into their pipes, and swayed upon their haunches, turning their glittering eyes to and fro to see what man had a mind to press a piece of money upon their well-greased foreheads. The dancers came and went promenading arm in arm upon the earthen floor, or leaping with hands outstretched and fingers fluttering. The cabile attendant slipped here and there with the coffee cups, and the wreaths of smoke curled lightly upward towards the wooden roof. But Halima came not through the open doorway holding the scarlet handkerchiefs above her head. And presently, late in the night, they laid her body in a palanquin, and set the palanquin upon a running camel, and while the dancers shrilled their lament amid the sands, 
they bore her away into the darkness of the dunes towards the south and the tents of her own people. The jackals laughed as she went by. But the hedgehog's foot was left lying upon the floor of her chamber. Not one of the dancers would touch it. That night I was in the cafe, and, hearing of all these things from Kuda, the boy, I went into the court, and gathered up the trinket which had brought a woman to the great silence. Next day I rode on horseback to Tamasine, asked to see the marabou, and told him all the story. He listened, smiling like the rising sun in an oleograph, and twisting in his huge hands, that were tinted with the henna, the staff with the apple-green ribbons. When I came to the end I said, Oh, holy marabou, tell me one thing. Allah is just. I listen. If the scorpions had slept with a veiled woman who held the hedgehog's foot, how would it have been? Would the woman have died or lived? The marabou did not answer. He looked at me calmly, as at a child who asks questions about the mysteries of life which only the old can understand. These things, he said at length, are hidden from the unbeliever. You are a Rumi. How, then, should you learn such matters? But even the Rumi. In the desert there are mysteries, continued the marabou, which even the faithful must not seek to penetrate. Then it is useless to. It is very useless. It is as useless as to try to count the grains of the sand. I said no more. Muhammad L.A. Ben Ali Tijani smiled once more, and beckoned to a Negro attendant, who ran with a musical box, one of the gifts of the faithful. This comes from Paris, he said, with a spreading complacence. Then there was within the box a sounding click, and there stole forth a tinkling of Aubert's music to Massaniello. Come o'er the moonlit sea, 